Zechariah, his name means, he has a definition to his name, that when all of these people that had names, it, it had a meaning. And his name was Yahweh remembers, God remembers. He's one of the post-exilic prophets, and that means that he was in Israel after the deportation to uh, Babylon. Seventy years had passed, and he was there for the first group of people coming back. Actually, it turns out that there were about 50,000 of them, and they were the poorer of the people that had, uh, that from that region that came back. And they came back with the blessings of, uh, of Cyrus and the blessings of Darius, and all, all of these blessings were on them from the, from the kings. They even financed them, so they came with finances. They didn't have to worry about that. They even gave them on cards traveling through the, uh, for their trip. And so what were they coming back for? To reconstruct the temple. The temple had been torn down in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, and that was their job, to rebuild this house, the house of the Lord. And they started with great zeal. It was a, an easy thing to get going. You would think everybody's excited. You know how that is. You're going to go into a new house or you have something new that's coming along. Everybody's excited. We're all, oh, we're going to get this thing done and this is good, you know. But um, even though God had anointed them, even God had preordained this to be what they were to do, they ran into some serious opposition. The Syrians, uh, in this particular case, who were living there, the Samaritans, I should say, they didn't want them to rebuild this temple. See, while they were gone for 70 years, these folks were taking over things, if you follow me. They were kind of moving in and taking over things. They had their own form of government. They didn't like these Jews coming back and rebuilding that, that temple. And so they petitioned, they, they harassed them, and eventually they petitioned uh, the uh, king, I believe it was uh, Ax Ax yeah, Araxas, king of Persia, and they had a bump. What was the bump? A edict came back that they were to suspend building the temple until it could be looked into the records and they could find out what the previous kings had done. Now, one thing about the Persian governments that were there, if a king said something and left that law was changed, it, they, usually they couldn't change it. That was it. When it was written, it stayed. And that would mean that you would have to fulfill that law. That's the way it was. It took 12 years. 12 years. Now imagine, you're all filled with zeal and everything. You come back, you've made this journey. And now what happens in these 12 years? Well, first of all, I want to read you the end of the story before the beginning. I finish with the beginning in the middle. And you find that in Ezra 6.14, another one of the minor prophets. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building, though the prophet, through the prophet, prophesying of Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Ido, and they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, Araxas, 
king of Persia. So the, the book of Zechariah is one of the most of the, of the greatest messianic book in the Bible. You find more of the prophecies about the coming Lord in that book than anything else. I just want to give you a little background of where we're going here because uh, just, the, the, just for the purpose of the accuracy of God's word and the things that, that uh, he proclaims, they come about. You know, uh, Jesus is coming back. You all know that? Yeah, yeah. Some people are going to say he's not coming back. They're going to say a lot of things, but guess what? He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back for us, ready or not. Are we ready? Well, that's an interesting, interesting uh, call. Or have we lived, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, that by living a certain way, we shall hasten the return of the Lord. Do you know what said that in the Bible? For you people who are or might not be doing what we ought to do, I would just say this, please don't delay the Lord. I'm happy if he would come today, actually, to tell you the truth. Solve a lot of problems. But as we look at this here, again, these exiles who returned to the homeland about 500 and, uh, 536 B.C., uh, under that edict of Cyrus, again, they, were, they rebuilt the altar, they began construction, and soon apathy set in. Next, what is it? Well, we, we're building this temple, but what about our homes? What about the other things that we have to do? We have other things to do. We're busy people. But why, why did they come? They came to rebuild the temple. And nothing wrong with them living in homes, but the problem is they got sidetracked. How many ever got sidetracked in something? How many of you are married to a contractor? Anybody married? If your house is finished, God bless you, you have one special contractor. We generally build the house and then we start fiddling around and we do this and we do this and so that's good enough and then you know what? Funny thing about building a house, you can live in it and it, it seems good enough, doesn't it? It, you, you recognize that, okay, this is okay. This house is just fine. We're, we're fine. We're comfortable here. And then you're going to get company one day. And you realize that the kitchen wall isn't painted or the bathroom sink is not where it ought to be or whatever. Suddenly you look around and you find out that things aren't in the order you thought they were in. And then you hurriedly try to replace this. You know, one thing I noticed, we just talked about this the other day. It seems to me that when you're gonna sell your home, there's a lot of work. It, you know, you wanna put it on the market, then the real estate agent comes along, and what do they say to you? I know, you know what, you need to fix this. You need to, I didn't know that was like that. I didn't know this was like that. And all of a sudden you start seeing things and you start fixing this house, and you say to yourself, why didn't I do it so I could enjoy it while I was here? It's kind of how we are as people. So, 12 years, construction had been choked by discouragement and preoccupation with other pursuits. And Zechariah and Haggai urged the people, two prophets, to return to the Lord and his purpose. You see, sometimes we don't even realize that we, we have somehow moved away from the purpose God has for us because we get so busy with other things. Does that make sense to you? 
you know, you're going to do this and you're going to do that, but you, you decide God's going to call you to do this, but you don't do it because something else comes along and then something else comes along and you just forget that God has a purpose for your life and you miss it. So he uh, encouraged God's people by pointing them to a day when the Messiah would rule from a restored temple in a restored city. So in other words, why were the prophets here now? The prophets were here to stir up the people to continue the work to get the job done. And I find out that that's something we all need. We need encouragement. We need to be stirred up. We need to be reminded, as uh, Norm put it. And you, you have to, why do we never cease to remind us? Just recently did a message on that. Why? Because we need to be reminded. We forget. We just get caught away. We have to be refocused to the things of God. So although those Jews came with great optimism, fully intending to rebuild the temple, had everything they needed, but it didn't get done. I want to say that God has a, a plan for his people, every one of us. Now, sometimes this is difficult to understand, but I'm going to make it very simple to you. Half of the people I know growing up in the church, and I've been preaching for a pretty long time, folks, maybe over 50-something years, I want to say this. In all of this time, I've, I find out all of the struggles that you go through. You love God. You want to serve him. And, and you're thinking about serving him. And then you, you look out and then you're, you wonder, well, what, what is it he wants me to do? What, what's the purpose of my life? And we're looking to do some work for God. And we want to be in his will. And then you find people seeking the will of God like it was the fourth person of, uh, of God or something. They're, 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 they're so consumed with what is it that I'm called to do? And I'm going to tell you this. And I... I've got this firsthand from the scripture, by the way. We all have one first calling. And that calling is that we are here for God. And he wants us to be like him. Therefore, our calling is to be like him. Now, when I say that, lots of things go through our mind. For example, that little bracelet, what would Jesus do? That was a real bad thing, actually, for the church. It's a heck of a time to ask you what Jesus would do when you're in trouble or you get a need. But if you would think about it, God always wanted to live through you. A lot different. And it's a, it's a real blessing. But we'll get to that a little bit more as we move on. Let me say this. The first hindrance, I want to talk about some of the hindrances that the people of God ran into. So they come here, they're trying to build, they get distracted. And again, God has a plan for his people from before the foundation of the world. You can read it in Ephesians, you can read it in Colossians. There's several places you can read that. Romans as well. But we have to find that purpose. Christ overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that's what we're called to do. I like that passage in, I think it's 1 John, or 2 John, young men, you have overcome the world. You've overcome the devil. You've overcome the world. Good for you. And it is good. It was a good thing. But that meant that they had a focus and they were trusting in the Lord. So as I continue to look at the, the scripture here, 
one of the biggest hindrance that we have to the scripture is the present day gospel. I'm just going to address, address it head on. I'm just going to tell you right off the bat, the gospel has changed dramatically over the last 100 years in our, in our nation. And I can go back, and we can go back to the days of Bill Bright. Now, I don't go back that far. I heard their names when I was a little kid. But Bill Bright and uh, Billy Graham, and they simplified the gospel. They gave us four spiritual laws. And I can remember a guy on, from Wycliffe on, on uh, uh, one of the Christian shows, and he was talking, and they said, he says, I'm going to give you the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall receive eternal life, shall not perish, but receive eternal life. And he said, that's the gospel. Is it? It's certainly important, isn't it? So what happened in the process is the gospel of the kingdom of God, which Jesus himself preached, and the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the salvation that he brought for us. We talked about that today. One got substituted for the other. They weren't blended together like they were supposed to be. And the church became a bunch of people that got saved, made a confession of faith, came to church, sat down, went to Bible studies, did a lot of other things, gained a lot of knowledge, but never understood that the purpose for their life was far greater than the life that they were now living. They had a great anointing on their life. They just never understood what to do. Why is that? They were happy with that. You see, you can get content in that house that is not finished. And we can get content in, with ourselves when we're not finished. In other words, we have to move on in our own life. So the first hindrance was the gospel of salvation. Good news of Christ, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John 3:3, Jesus answered and said to him, to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's what I'm talking about. The whole purpose of being born again is, first of all, to have a new life. So it's when we've come to the place where we now are alive in God that we can first perceive and see the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought about that? In other words, it's like being born as a baby. You, you, you have a child that's born, you take them home, you got them in a cradle, next thing you know, they're walking a little bit. If they stayed in that cradle, something would be very, very wrong, wouldn't it? It would be very wrong. Why would it be wrong? Because it would mean that they're not growing. Something's not right. They're, they're well, I forget the term for it, but I remember the, uh, in other words, non, they're not growing. And right away you'd be going to the doctor with them to find out what's wrong. Why isn't my child growing? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? And you'd be worried about it. Well, we seem to be happy about it or satisfied with it. Many, many Christians are. We just can hang out where we are, and that's just fine. And we just enjoy one another, and that's great. And I think we need to do that. I think it. Uh, we, uh, I know, for my perspective, 
one of the biggest blessings in my life is this church. I love these people. And uh, I, I would never, never do anything to harm them. But at the same time, because I love them, I'm going to remind them. And I hope that they continue to remind me. See, this is the whole thing. Everybody needs to be reminded. I don't care if you're a prophet, an apostle, a, a pastor, a, a, a evangelist. It doesn't matter. You need to be reminded of that there's a purpose for your life, and you need to move in it. And you need to get it straight, what your priorities are. So, again, we have this word from Jesus to Nicodemus, and we just overlook it so often. So often. We look at it and say, oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's good. I'm born again. Truly, I need to be born again. And we forget it. this part here that says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't perceive it. And that's important because if you can't perceive something, who was talking about today? Um, I want to think about this. Expectations. If we can't see the kingdom of God and we don't have expectations, will we ever move forward in life? We'll be hindered. We'll be sitting there saying, well, I, you know, I, I expect this or I expect that. You might expect, for example, you, you have a young man, a child, and you expect them to go to college and expect them to do this and you expect them to get grades and you expect, you have a lot of expectations that we put on our children, don't we? And rightfully so. But if that's all we did, how many of you ever had to remind your kids to do their homework? How many of us had to remind them to clean their room? You know, sometimes you have to walk in the room and trip over the clothes before you realize this is an immediate problem. But it is. So this reminder stuff is very important. And our expectations, they're important too. And they're important because they need to be reasonable expectations and they need to be expectations that we can believe God for and that we can reach. But once we reach him, then we have more expectations. We never stop. So again, as I said, therefore, the new birth brings us a new life. And we're not enabled, uh, and if we're not enabled to perceive the kingdom of God, then we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay in that thing. And oh, then somebody says, well, listen, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? You need to be baptized. Your problem is you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You, you just received Jesus. Now you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you say, okay, I thought I received the Spirit. But anyway, you get through this, and now you get the Spirit, and then what happens? Now we just go back to the same routine. We're happy in the Spirit. Something's changed in our praise and our worship. And we consider moving, we're moving forward, and we are. Don't misunderstand me. All it is, are good, these are all good things, by the way. It's just that, we are so quick to stay where we are because we don't like change, do we? How many of you like change? Wow. It's unanimous. There's one person. I want to no, you, you, you accidentally raised your hand. Okay, I want to make sure that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's about right. Yeah. I uh, worked with a guy by the name, uh, actually, uh, when I did the, uh, a lot of marriage work on marriage and uh, marriage initiative here in the state of New Hampshire, and uh, his name was Bill Coffin, 
And one of the things that we had a class, and the class was about friendship. And he had a definition. We have definitions for friends. What's a friend? And he defined a friend this way. It's a person who, when they see me, their face lights up. They're excited, and they have no immediate plan to change my life. So that's a friend. Okay. So what was Zechariah going to do? He, as I said, was a prophet and a messianic prophet. So he was always pointing to the fact that they weren't just there for today. They weren't just there to build the temple. But the purpose of that temple went beyond the temple. It went to the coming of the Messiah. It went to the rule and reign of God upon the earth. And so his prophecies kind of followed that path. Pretty interesting, really. And, he, and God gave him eight, eight visions, eight. And the first vision was a call to repent. Well, first of all, he called them to repentance. And that is, now repentance in the Old Testament is, in, you know, in New Testament, we talk about changing our mind. But also, when you change your mind, you know you change your direction. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is shuv. And it means that you're going in this direction, shuv. You stop, you're walking away from God, and you turn to God. So when you call to repentance, you call to stop the direction you're going in, and you call to turn back to God. Very simple. That's, in a sense, what repentance actually is, very simply put. So he called them to repentance. He said, you guys have been hanging around now. I know we had some problems, but look, uh, let's get it straight. We got the edict back again. We can go ahead now. Let, let's get up and get going, you all. Caught up in yourselves and all the stuff you're doing. Let's get it together. And then these eight visions that he had was first the man with horses, which actually was uh, uh, a sign of God's mercy, Zechariah 1, 7 through 17. Then he had the vision of the four horns and the four craftsmen. They were measuring out the earth, measuring out the city of Jerusalem. And that was a, uh, actually a prophecy of God's judgment that was coming. And then he had the lampstands and the olive tree. And that was, uh, and, the, and God's spirit, that was a, uh, a, a point of God's spirit that was going to flow and continue to flow for the, through the people. Then he had the flying scroll, God's pronouncement. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're doing. Then we had the woman in the basket, God's holiness. Then we had other things that took place in that book, which are very interesting. The crowning of the high priest, which is Jesus, actually. That represented Jesus being coming in as king. By the way, his prophecies can also that the Lord would come humbly on a donkey into Jerusalem to their king. They also, his prophecies spoke about his, the refusal of his people, their, his rejection. They refused to accept him, but then also that he's going to come again. I mean, you, you go, through, it, it's just amazing. And then he talked to the people about the kind of repentance they had. He said, is it ritual? Is it is, or is it real repentance? Are you really changing or are you just talking about it? 
And then finally, the restoration of Zion. Now, Zion is the dwelling place of God's people. In this case, it would be, uh, we're talking about Israel, or Israel will be restored, but it will be a remnant, folks. And the, the blessings that are theirs are ours. The, all of the Abrahamic blessings belong to us. And then finally, the triumph of the kingdom of God. So, again, prophecy, the Messiah rejected, the Messiah reigns. That's the way it's going to be. So let me uh, continue with a couple of things here and talk about, I want to talk about us now. We talked about what's happening. He said, what does this got to do with anything? A lot. It really has to do with you and me. It's, it's, not, it's not all about what happened back then. It's what's about happening right now. So what's happening right now? First of all, we had communion today in remembrance of Christ. And today uh, of, of his sacrificial death. His body was broken for us. His blood was the blood of a new covenant. We're a new people. And notice this, it's not just that we're saved, but now we have a covenant, a new agreement that we have entered into that God promises us. So uh, we've spoken about the obstacles of the returning Jews. They encountered rebuilding the house of God. And then the Bible calls us, the church, to be more specifically as we are, the body of Christ. So in other words, here God comes, he calls us, and now we become what? A Christian, a believer. That's what we are. We're a believer in Christ. Now what does that mean? Well, then we find out that we're a member of the body of Christ. Isn't that true? You remember the body of Christ? I am. I thank God I'm for that blessing. But then what? Okay. Uh, the Bible tells us that the church, or Christ's body, if we read it in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, is called to bring Christ to non-believers and believers, and wherever we're present. I want to explain this to you. This is where this church is, is going. We're trying to form this in our people. Where you go, Jesus goes. In other words, when I walk into that drugstore, Jesus walks into that drugstore. And that means when I get in that drugstore and I'm looking around and there's a person that comes by and I just happen to know something's going on with them. When I stop, say, how are you doing? They just met Jesus on the road. And you don't know what's going to happen after that. We had a wonderful experience last night. I don't want to go out there because we have so many of them going out there because we expect that God has a purpose for us when we're walking outside of this building. As a matter of fact, not only are we in a building, but we are a church without walls. Why? Because we take Christ wherever we go. And we bring him to other people. And like Dottie, Dorothy did, Dolly did yesterday. It's just an amazing thing. God drops a word in you. You see somebody, you, you just, you know, you're led to do that. It's not that you go out there and you, hey, well, here's my track and here's this. and here. I mean, you might have got saved with the track. That's fine. But that just shows you the grace of God. You know, that he, he is so good. But yet we have a, a purpose there. So uh, Haggai and Zechariah really urged the people to return to the work of restoring the temple. I want to say that again. Restoring the temple. 
So they, and as I said before, present-day preachers, whatever they are, have an obligation to call God's people to turn if they're going in the wrong direction and to move out of their laziness, liturgy, sit in front of the TV, that's better, and complete the unfinished work. Wait a minute. What work is unfinished? Well, the guy standing before you right now is unfinished. Hello? And I'm going to tell you, maybe you're better than I am, but I have bad news for you and good news for you. The bad news is you're unfinished. The good news is you don't have to stay that way. Amen. Amen. So, and again, let's just take a look at this. Remember the Jews in Jesus' time. If you ever watched something, I saw a video on this. It was really interesting, a movie, actually. And they kept saying, the temple, the temple, the temple. In other words, so much was on that temple. They had this whole religious system going. The people had to come to the temple. The offerings came to the temple. The people came to the temple. The sacrifices were at the temple. And you know, the temple was the big thing. Temple, temple. And you know what? They thought they were just fine. They thought this was okay. This is good. We've got the truth. And they did in a sense. But they missed the whole point of this relationship with God. And so... Uh, Jesus comes down uh, on his way to Jerusalem or in Jerusalem and he comes to the temple and in John 2 verse 14 and he found in the temple those who were selling he rode in on that donkey got to the temple walked around and he comes in there and he finds in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changes seated at the tables which they all thought was fine he didn't And what did he do? He made a scourge of cords and he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of money changes. He overturned their tables. You know, we need to make sure that we're not letting our temple, that's our body, being used for an ungodly manner or in a way that's displeasing to God. And it's very common for believers, just like those Jews in that day, to just cast, you know, just leave everything the way it is and say, it's good enough, I'm okay, I'm fine. And it's very common for believers to need some things cast out of their temple. Hello. You know, that's another thing that's been taken from the church, all of these different things. And one of them is the power of God to set us free from demonic oppression. Now, you can't be possessed by the devil, but you certainly can be oppressed. Possession and oppression, two different things completely. The word in the Greek is demazion. It means to be demonized or hindered by a demon. And I think, to tell you the truth, a lot of churches really need to go through a lot of deliverance. I know I did. I had a good ministry in deliverance, and some of the other guys here with me, just thinking about it, the gals. And I can remember being a brand new, relatively new Christian, and you know, getting involved in worshiping God, doing God, casting demons out of people, and having them come out of myself at the same time. What a surprise! You mean, even though I was saved and I was holy and 
set apart by God and seen as righteous that I had some problems? Oh, yeah. So, again, if you're fine, just the way you are, let me assure you God isn't done with you yet. You can take the word of God seriously. We are all, no exceptions, in need of completing this temple. In other words, you're a work in progress, folks. Hello. And nothing wrong with that. We need to be a work in progress. But we need to have the humility and faith and the love to let God work in us. Nobody can tell you you need to do this. I mean, how many of you get called by a salesman and they, they want to sell you something? Now, my initial reaction is this. Well, uh, I'm good. Yeah, that, I don't need anything. So what am I saying when I say I'm good? I'm saying I don't, I don't even want to know what you're selling because I don't need anything else, and I'm just perfectly happy the way I am. And then when we say that with God, I'm good, and we should feel comfortable in God. I want you to know that because Ephesians says we should walk before him in love without fear. So that's, I'm not talking about walking, uh, being a fearful person, but I'm talking about being a respectful person with God. And here's what it says. And when I say that, like I say, I'm good. Uh, I'm just saying that I'm perfect. I don't need any help. I don't need anything. And uh, that's it. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, I love this. This is a promise for God's watching over you and your promise that he gives you. If anyone destroys the temple of God, he will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. You're a holy person. Listen, you know what that means, holy? How many of you got this? Holy doesn't mean that you're like this religious person that is doing It means that you belong to God. You're set aside to him. In other words, for example, the temple in the temple, the utensils were holy. They had no moral value, but what they did have is a set-apart use. In your case, you have both. In other words, God wants to use you, and he looks at you as belonging to him. Now, we're running on time here. I've had 35 minutes, but I'm going to finish this up today uh, for a number of reasons. So, notice this. Where it goes here. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? You see that thing that says you're not your own? Do you realize secular humanism today, what they want you to think is you are your own person. You can do whatever you want to do. You're a self-made man. You can do this. You can do this. You are your, don't listen to these religious people. Don't listen to this. Don't listen to that. And actually, you're owned by the devil. Literally. I, I mean that. You become his servant rather than God's servant because they confuse you into this whole, whole situation. So if you're not your own, whose are you? I mean, that's the next question we ought to ask. Who are we? And I read this in Titus chapter 2 to you. 
Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Not easy. And if you're a parent, wow, it's a real tough, tough road for you today with, with children. But it's doable because God is with you. And it goes on here to say, instructing, the, instructing us to deny ungodliness and desires sensibly, righteously, present age. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Now notice this. So many Christians miss this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from what? Every lawless deed. So in other words, he's taken us and he's turning us from one way of life to another way of life. And then it says here, not only that, but uh, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. A people possessed by God that belong to God. That's what he's always wanted. From the time he raised Israel out and brought him out of the wilderness and before that, he always wanted a people that would love him and follow him. A kingdom of priests. Zealous for good deeds. These things speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority. And let no one disregard you. And we should, whether we're talking to a friend or trying to turn somebody around, you got to know that God's given you this kind of authority to do so, and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. It's not telling somebody how to live. It's telling somebody who they belong to. It's letting them know that they're a child of the king, that they're a son of God, that they're a, a daughter of, of a, prince, a prince, or a prince or a princess, literally. They belong to God. He, he called to rule and reign with him. So then we come down to this. What is the purpose for your life? Well, this is what we're going to close with today. So Romans 8, 29 and 30. Now, you remember communion today. That Christ died for us, took our place, our punishment. Now, it says here that those who received him were foreknown. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, what did he do? He also what? What's the word? Predestined. That means that before the foundation of the very world, God had a purpose for you. He set a purpose for you. He set a purpose for me. And he set... For each of us, there's one single purpose. Now, there's more than that. We have different ministries. But there's one primary purpose that changes everything in your Christian walk. What is that? For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. F figure this out. Very simply, what God is saying is Jesus came, he did what he did to save us so that we could be like him. You got that? 
Remember I said Jesus walks into the drugstore or the supermarket? That's exactly what this is about. But how do we become like that? What can we do to do that? Well, it's not difficult, but it takes, it takes something. And that's why our two key uh, scriptures for this church are, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, Galatians 4.19, and also Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, uh, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. In our bylaws, which we just finished up, we have a pledge in there. And that pledge is that anyone who becomes an elder or a leader in this church will indeed commit themselves to carry out this work and not to cease to labor, to see each and every person that they can grow in Christ and become more like him. Paul never gave up on it. I'll never give up on it. And I hope that you'll never give up on it. I've got a ways to go. If I were to live to 200, I'd still have a ways to go. So, again, what I'm going to ask right now that we stand together. We're going to have some people come up here to pray for you, our prayer team. We have Panera bread out there, and there's coffee out there, and there's bagels, and there's all kinds of stuff, and I, I have not been distracted by that. I want you to know that. <laughs> so, uh, what we want to do here is bless that, and bless our time together, and have some fellowship there. But in the beginning here, I just want to give you an opportunity to either in your seat, or to come forward, and you can be by yourself up here on the steps, whatever it may be, and decide whether or not you want, to, you want to take on that task of, and this is the task, of being willing to let God work in you and letting him take away the things that need to be taken away and add the things that need to be added for this particular time in your life. And hopefully you'll make that commitment that you'll do that for the rest of your life as you go on. It's not a week that goes by that I don't sit down with the Lord and wait upon him and ask him to work in my heart. And I tell him, Lord, I don't, I don't want anything in me that is displeasing to you. I, I want to be, be who you called me to be. Take it out of me. Show me. Work it out of me. Work your life into me. Make me more like you. Now, if you had had good intentions in the past, but they haven't been realized in the progress in your spiritual life, you can begin by taking that step right now. If you desire a deeper walk with Jesus, but you don't know how to get there from here, you know, that's always a big problem. It's, it's not so much knowing where you want to go. It's how do I get there from where I am? Well... I want you to know that we've been working diligently on this and, uh, and for years, I mean literally years, and I'm still uh, working to partner with other individuals on this who are 
spiritual, who have a lot of experience in spiritual formation, growth, that we can do what we're called to do. And this is that we're going to be rolling out a discipleship process that will undergird every area of our church and ministries. And like I said, we've been working this quietly for years. We've tested this. I've experimented with people with permission. I told them a long time ago, I'm gonna experiment with you, is that okay? And they said, yeah, we're gonna try it. And what we found is that we can change, see people change. They can change in their thinking, they can change in their, in their spiritual walk and in their, their, their spirituality. They can become more like Jesus and even character can change. When we have bad character traits, they can even be turned around if we let God do it. But now we, we know, we know what needs to be done and we have a pretty good idea how it can work out. But it all depends on you because it's not a group of leaders that do this, but it's a group of people that are committed together to walk with one another that will have to accomplish this.